politics, power, and the people. From Washington, D.C., this is The Week on the Hill. I didn't overpromise, but I think if you take a look at what we've been able to do, you'd have to acknowledge we made enormous progress. The American people are facing an economic crisis, an energy crisis, a border crisis, an education crisis, a crime crisis, a worsening COVID-19 crisis, and a national security crisis. President Biden and the head of the House Republican Conference, Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, weighing in on the president's first year in office. I'm WTOP's Mitchell Miller, and the White House, along with congressional Democrats, is trying to reset the legislative agenda as the president heads into his second year. The president's approval rating has been steadily falling, and he's coming off a week when Senate Democrats were unsuccessful in efforts to pass voting rights legislation as well as make changes to the 60-vote filibuster. Virginia Senator Tim Kaine is one of many Democrats who spoke on behalf of the voting rights legislation, asking how the issue could be delayed in the wake of January 6th. If not after a violent attack unprecedented in the history of this country on the capital of the United States to disenfranchise 80 million people and disrupt the peaceful transfer of power, when? But Wyoming Republican John Barrasso argues Americans beyond the Beltway aren't looking for a wide-ranging voting rights bill. Democrats want elections to be run by Washington, D.C., instead of the 50 states. Republicans blocked the measure from advancing with a filibuster, and Democrats were unable to alter rules related to the filibuster since two members of their own party, Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema and West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, opposed the proposed changes. For the last year, my Democratic colleagues have taken to the Senate floor cable news airwaves, pages of newspapers across the country, to argue that repealing the filibuster is actually restoring the Senate to the vision of the Founding Fathers intended for this deliberate body. My friends, that is simply not true. Manchin's position on the filibuster frustrates many fellow Democrats, and some feel his opposition to the president's Build Back Better plan has potentially robbed them of a major legislative victory. So now they're trying to come up with a new plan. The president himself stated during a lengthy news conference that a change in strategy is needed. It's clear to me that, uh, um, that we're going to have to uh, probably... Uh, Break it up. That's what some Democratic moderates have been pushing for a while. But House Speaker Nancy Pelosi notes that if it's one package, as it is now, it can be passed solely by Democrats through reconciliation. So when people say, let's divide it up, then... They don't understand the process. Someone who's been deeply involved in the process is Virginia Democratic Senator Mark Warner. I asked him how he thinks Democrats should move forward on the president's plan. The component parts of the president's Build Back Better program are very popular. People want additional child care, preschool. People want to make sure the cost of prescription drugs comes down. We're the only major industrial nation in the world that doesn't negotiate on our drug prices. That would be an immediate benefit for all families, no matter where you live, no matter what kind of income stream you have. I think the vast majority of Virginians, and whether we call it sea level rise or we've seen the storms that are taking place, you know, we got to deal with climate change. It is an existential threat. The challenge with breaking the program up, though, is the fact that we've not been able to gain any Republican support and consequently the ability to pass pieces of this bill without using the process tool called reconciliation, which would allow us to, to pass this with 51 votes, you know, kind of comes unwound. So I'm not sure that breaking it up, it might mean that, you know, people in the House could talk about what they voted for, but at the end of the day, we want these things to become law. 
I still think there may be a chance for a smaller, more targeted package to get through. Uh, I think you may see some things on that coming in the next couple of weeks. You know, I've been a longtime advocate that the program ought to do less things in a more targeted and focused way. Not only because it's easier to talk about what's in the program, but as a governor who, who knows how you actually operationalize laws, the challenge often is, you know, passing the law is only the beginning, as we saw, for example, with Obamacare. Unless it's implemented correctly, you don't get the benefits that, that folks hope. So I've been very concerned that if the federal government tried to implement 15, 20 new initiatives at the same time, the chances of success would go down. So I think a more targeted, slimmed down package may be still the best way to go. But if that effort is not successful literally in a few weeks, uh, then breaking in into chunks, recognizing when those chunks came over to the Senate, you could only use reconciliation on, on one of them individually. As Democrats try to regroup, Republicans are blasting the president, charging he's mishandled a host of issues as inflation soars and consumers find many grocery store shelves empty. Texas Republican Congressman Jody Arrington. The best way to describe President Biden's first year in office is one self-inflicted crisis and disaster after another. From chaos at the southern border to rampant crime, Throughout our cities, from the botched withdrawal in Afghanistan to a bungled COVID response, unfortunately, Biden's economic policies and recovery plan has been no exception, characterized by incompetence, incoherence, and irrational policy decisions, and the results have been devastating. Republicans remain bullish on their chances to retake the House, and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is getting a lot of political love from donors. Politico reports he raised $9.5 million in one night at a D.C. fundraiser. His largest D.C. fundraiser before that was $350,000. McCarthy is one of several Republicans who have declined to cooperate with the January 6th Select Committee's investigation into the attack on the Capitol, which continues to move forward. Among the latest people the panel wants to talk to are former President Trump's daughter Ivanka and his former attorney Rudy Giuliani. The committee points out that Giuliani was deeply involved in efforts to overturn the election results, and he spoke at the rally near the White House before rioters invaded the Capitol a short time later. Over the next 10 days, we get to see the machines that are crooked, the ballots that are fraudulent, and if we're wrong, we will be made fools of. But if we're right, a lot of them will go to jail. The committee also wants to speak with lawyer Sidney Powell, who, along with Giuliani, alleged there was a conspiracy to alter voting systems. She made baseless claims against the company Dominion Voting Systems, which is now suing her in a billion-dollar defamation suit. Among her claims is that voting machines were altered by Venezuelan socialists to change millions of votes and steal the election from former President Trump. In a unique defense to the Dominion lawsuit, her attorneys have said no reasonable person would conclude that her statements were based in fact. The U.S. Supreme Court, meanwhile, this week gave the select committee a legal victory, ruling former President Trump could not withhold hundreds of pages of White House documents. The committee has now received more than 700 pages of documents from the National Archives. The documents add to a trove of information gathered by the January 6th panel, which has interviewed more than 300 witnesses and is planning to hold public hearings in the coming months. I'm WTOP's Mitchell Miller, and this is The Week on the Hill.